and welcome to the Todd Pod, a podcast to support itinerant teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, SLPs, and other deaf education professionals. I'm Deanna Barlow from Listening Fun, and today we're talking about vocabulary with our special guest, Stacy Krause. Hi, Stacy. Thanks for being here. Hello. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself? Sure. I am an SLP and I have been about 15 years now. I also received my listening and spoken language certification about six and a half years ago. Right out of grad school, I started in an outpatient therapy clinic for birth to 21-year-old children. Wow. 2014. <laughs> I know. I know. I've always seen treated like the gamut. So mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> um, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same with, yeah, DODs totally get that. I started transitioning to teletherapy in about 2014, and that was with a K through 12 caseload. So again, like, you know, quite the range, but Mm -hmm. I I like it that way. So keeps it interesting. For sure. And then I currently just manage my business, which is a blog and creating resources full time at the moment. Wonderful. Thanks so much. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on to talk about vocabulary is that you're an SLP, you have a huge age range, and then also you have your whistle cert, so you could even speak to it from like the hearing loss side of things. for sure. So just to jump right in, what would you say are the most important factors when thinking about supporting vocabulary? Like what's like the high level view? Well, as teachers of the deaf know that kids with hearing loss just don't acquire vocabulary at the same rate as their hearing peers because of usually lack of incidental learning or not lack of, but decreased incidental learning. So we're kids with typical hearing, you know, they pick up words from their parents, their peers, their siblings, whether direct or indirect conversations and, you know, all the talking that goes into learning about our routines and daily events and shared reading. Um, But kids with hearing loss just don't quite pick up as many of those words. So in a way, the cards are kind of stacked against them from day one, where they are, you know, showing a lot of vocabulary deficits from the beginning. And so it's kind of like a game of catch up uh, from day one, not to mention like delay in amplification and identification can cause, you know, that to be even a bigger issue. Poor listening environments or decreased wear time of their devices can all affect language and, and especially vocabulary development. Vocab intervention just isn't as cut and dry as a lot of our other language goals that we work on. Mm -hmm. You might agree as a a TOD, (laughs) it's just like not concrete. It's not straightforward. It's kind of hard to measure. It's not like working on like a possessive S, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's more gray area all around it. Yeah, it's frustrating that the thing, not the thing that's the most important, but one of the most important things to work on is also one of like the hardest things to work yes. on. The thing that requires the most nuance. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And then the stakes just kind of keep getting higher. Like what's typical mm-hmm. for our kids, you know, that just keeps getting more and more because kids with typical hearing, their vocabularies are growing too. So it's just such a key part of intervention, but it is not always so concrete. (laughs) Yeah. And thinking about it not being concrete, if you're looking at a child and you, they have a vocabulary goal or you identify that they need support with vocabulary, how do you decide what vocabulary is important to focus on? Um, Well, I always, as a school-based SLP, Mm -hmm. looked at their academic words and their academic curricula and what they're needing there. When I was, you know, more clinic based and it was the the little bitties with hearing loss, that'd be more relevant words would be like the ones in their environment, um, the ones that they are 
related to their routines and their, um, you know, family, their customs, their cultures, their, all of that. Mm-hmm. But really, I don't make a goal for a specific words rather than as much as, you know, strategies and utilizing strategies, which of course, for the the little bitties, especially super important to include the parents to be able to, you know, understand those strategies and use those strategies in a variety of different environments, as well as like their general education teachers. So it's a lot, I think, of just kind of focusing on the strategies and and using those to uh, help develop vocabulary and less as much on me picking words. So so it's kind of nice in that way. (laughs) Yeah. I even remember when I first started teaching, I inherited some IEP goals that were more like they didn't give me specific words, but they would say like 10 vocab, 10 content words or like it, they were kind of weird and I they were hard to implement because I'm like 10 words over the whole year, like 10 words every quarter. Like it wasn't really specific. It was kind of yeah. confusing. And then I would also inherit goals that were strategy based and I could just tell that those they worked better. The kids made progress that like carried over a lot easier and then for me it was just so much easier to to teach strategies than to teach a list of words because there's so many words right (laughs) you you can't that's a that's a losing battle for any anyone any kid like you just can't you just can't teach (laughs) all the words words. That's Not why I mean, minutes a week. right? And like, that's kind of like the side note. That's why we work on listening skills so much is so that way, like to hopefully like help them catch up like natural, not naturally, mm-hmm. but like through incidental learning as much yes. as possible, because it's like you got to attack it from both sides. But when it's a big fact of like, we do sometimes just have to do direct vocabulary. Yeah. instruction or intervention and I definitely agree I'm glad you said that about strategies because I feel like I feel like I say that all the time I'm like a broken record (laughs) I'm like here's this strategy and that strategy (laughs) I know I mean I see that a lot in like the the speech therapy Facebook groups too people are like what what words are you picking and it's like I I don't even try like I don't (laughs) that's that's so individual and impossible to just pull words out of thin air that are gonna transfer and so when I think of like vocabulary strategies I tend to think of like context clues um things like that are there other strategies that you tend to teach a lot that are helpful um yeah I mean like semantic mapping and just expanding on the vocabulary that they do have Mm -hmm. um a lot of kids with hearing loss have not only a deficit in how many words they know, like the breadth of their vocabulary, but the depth of that vocabulary. So maybe um, maybe they know what a fish is, but they don't know that it has scales, uh, that it's cold-blooded, that that's called a fishing pole that you mm-hmm. use. So, you know, just kind of expanding on that, those words that they do have and making connections between the words um, yeah, to kind of I really, fill in those gaps. Yeah, I really like to work on that like word nuance stuff I feel like that's like I feel like it's also more interesting because you get you get to talk about words that you never thought you would be teaching (laughs) yes yes I know and it's just so fun how they just kind of come up naturally and that's the best way to learn anyway you know it's just through actual experiences with those those words and those concepts yeah I always try when I'm talking to a student to use vocabulary maybe a step higher than what they currently have so like yeah. if they have if I know they know the word fish then maybe I'm gonna say salmon or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. it is like mm-hmm. I always try to see if I can be like more specific just to yes. see if I can like push them a little further in the vocabulary but it'll be like meaningful because like they know fish already and yes. we're looking at a fish but it's not just a fish right. it's also a salmon like right 
Because I think a lot of people in general are are guilty of kind of using the simplified language, mm-hmm. which isn't really doing the child a favor in the end. It's yeah, just and that's kind of, especially with deaf kids. Like, yes, they they tend to oversimplify teachers, parents, um, <sighs> and I try to express to people like. They can do it. Like, give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt. Talk a little bit higher. Like, be more specific yes. in your language. And it's kind of fun to challenge yourself to be like talking a little bit higher. <laughs> yes. And I've I've seen research that show that says that children with hearing loss tend to not um, like inquire about words that they hear as much as kids with typical hearing. You know, they don't say, "Wait a minute, what is that?" You know, mm-hmm. they don't kind of self advocate in that way. And so, teaching them the strategy the strategy of self-advocacy to kind of, you know, stop and say, I don't know that word, or can you show me a picture of that or something? It's another good strategy, um, just not only for right now, but for the rest of their lives, being able to recognize that they don't know a word and speak up. And Yeah. I like to sometimes it. if I'm reading like a chapter book with the student, because like one of my favorite things to do, which I've talked like so much about is like using an independent reading book as like material for your lesson, whether you're working on like a listening goal or a vocabulary goal, like just take their independent reading book that they're already reading. Cause like every kid, every kid has an independent reading Should book. Should have, like, yes. You yeah. know, for the most part, if they're in elementary school, they have an independent reading book and most middle schoolers yeah. do too. But I will, will, will like read a page or whatever. Every once in a while I'll stop and I'll, I'll ask them like, find two words on this page. You're not sure what they mean. Mm-hmm. And then that eventually leads to them naturally asking me what words mean because we're just in the habit of talking about yes. it. But like just pausing and being like, okay, just like look at this page. Any words you're not sure about, even just like a little bit not sure about, um, just to get them in the habit of asking about words has been really helpful because then they get, they actually will start asking. And that's so much easier (laughs) than trying to guess. (laughs) Yes, that is a great idea because it's like just acknowledging that we don't all know all the words. So let's talk about the ones we don't know and just make that be open and acceptable. And I love that. That's a great activity. And I like it because I don't have to prep anything. Like yep. they, already, they already have their book with them. <laughs> yep. And it's the same book every – it's the same book for weeks. So like uh-huh. it's, you know, it just – it's it's like work smarter, not harder. Yes. And you get to hear little snippets of different random books, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Tons. Tons of snippets. <laughs> it's kind of good then. You're like – you don't have to like quote unquote play dumb. You know, like no, you don't I was like, know I really don't know. <laughs> oh, what's going on? Explain it to me and use – that's that's a great activity. I love exactly. It. <laughs> so you said a couple of strategies. Were there any other ones? Because I kind of jumped in there. Um, let's see. I mean, just repetition. You know, they mm-hmm. don't with the lower incidental learning abilities. Like they, it's it's simply because they're not getting as many exposures to words a lot of times. So just using a lot of repetition mm-hmm. for older kids, more of like, I'll probably do more of the like metacognitive strategies where it's like well, we don't know this word, let's use a dictionary and look it up. Or, you know, within word analysis with morphemes, like, you know, the prefix and the suffix, and you can do some more of that kind of analyzing the words. Do you have like a a, sh- a way that you like to teach that or like an order you go about teaching it? Like, do you teach prefixes first, suffixes first? Um, like- I, I don't. I just kind of do them simultaneously, probably. A lot of them know of kind of what that is. Mm-hmm. And, and I should say like a lot, most all of my deaf and hard of hearing experiences with the little bitty. So I'm kind of talking about vocabulary with like just language impaired older students. <laughs> yeah, it all applies, I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um. But a lot of them kind of know those concepts loosely from like ELA, but I don't think I have like a hierarchy. I, 
I'd be curious to know if there is because that would be very valuable. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if there's a list of ones that occur like at a very high rate. Like what are the ones that like if you learn a top 10 that would make the biggest impact? Yes. Because one of the things I feel like I struggle with the most is that I don't have a ton of time and I don't have like a high frequency. So I'm seeing most of my kids like once, maybe twice a week. And that's a lot. A lot of TODs I know see them even less than that. Um, And I guess that's something you can lean on speech to like collaborate with maybe so that you're working on the same Mm -hmm. things so that you get that higher frequency. But if I, I, it's like, I can't teach all of them. Obviously I can't even teach half of them. Like I can maybe only teach 10 of them. So like what, what would make the biggest impact? You know, that would be an interesting thing to like look into. Yes, that would be, I saw one time, I have speechy musings, I think as a vocabulary (laughs) resource, I saw one time that's got kind of broken down prefixes and suffixes in a real structured way. I don't yeah. have it, so I can't speak much to it, but I bet it's amazing. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I love all her language resources. They're really, yes. they really break stuff down. Yes, especially for the upper elementary, middle school ages. Yeah, so that might be. Do you have any um, specific strategies for like older students, like high school, if they're working on like higher, like tier three yeah, vocabulary? Um, a lot of it is the, the academic, cur- like curriculum vocabulary again and you know, explaining um, or like kind of working through not just the definitions, but how they go together. Like, mm-hmm. like math, it seems like a lot of my older students like working on sum and operation. And what are other ways to say those that are like kind of like synonyms yeah. for that academic vocabulary? And then a lot of metacognitive strategies, yeah. probably mm-hmm. um, a lot of other strategies I, I use the same with the little bitties, but it looks totally different with older kids. The activities looks look different the context of the prompts it all looks different but it's a pretty similar you know strategy when you when you boil it down yeah could you you give an example of like what what that would look like for an older child for like the for the metacognitive strategy um well like like kind of like what you're saying within a in a book or a reading I do a lot of like read works passages and things Mm -hmm. like that with words we don't know since I was doing teletherapy like look up on dictionary.com or something like that. Yeah. One of them actually has like a kid uh, definition. I can't remember which one it is. Maybe it's dictionary.com or Miriam Webster or whatever it is. Like there's a definition for that's more like for kids, but it's still like, you know, appropriate for high school. So we'll just use those tools um, right there in the session on screen share or like break it down by prefix and suffixes um, or like the the root word, different morphemes like that. Yeah. Um, when so. I'm in person, a lot of times I'll have them ask Siri what it means. Like I'll just hold oh. it on my phone and I'll just That's say awesome. like, what does that word mean or whatever? What's the definition of the word? I do that one because they think it's fun. So they're yeah. more likely to ask me what a word means if they know they get to ask Siri. So like, <laughs> it's just like yes. an engaging way to get them to ask about words, but also it's faster than yeah. typing it in. So like it wastes less time for me. <laughs> Um, and I, like I said, I think it, I like to just like foster curiosity. So anytime they ask me a question, I don't know. I always ask Siri, like most of Mm -hmm. my kids know that that's like a thing that I'm willing to do. That is awesome. And it's so like 21st century too. Like (laughs) nobody has a big actual dictionary anymore, you know, so like might as well use what, what they have available, which is a lot of them, the older ones, especially Siri with phone yeah. or Alexa. I better not And for say that some of my younger ones too, it actually gives them like you, they have to say it clearly. So oh. like 
it's um if, if they are working on any particular sounds like mm-hmm. in speech that I'm supporting or a lot of my kids I talk too fast like that's their main issue so like having them slow down so Siri can understand them it just like it it, it, t- it takes a lot of boxes for me having <laughs> having them that ask is- Siri about a word or about a question I love that that is an awesome idea it was on my mind because I was doing um, like a puzzle and it was like a states puzzle, like United States mm-hmm. puzzle. And they were asking me what the biggest state was. And on the puzzle, it looked like it was Texas, but I know it's Alaska. Uh-huh. So I was like, let's ask Siri. And they were like, they asked Siri and they're like, Alaska, it's like not big enough. So like, it was like a good, you know, yes. And then it's learning like, well, opportunity. Why don't you could ask them like, why don't you think, you know, yeah. saying, why didn't they put Alaska the size it should have been? Yeah. No and real. then also, why is Alaska next to Hawaii? And I was right. like, well, it's a puzzle. <laughs> Logistics. I was like, let me show you the real map. And then I'm like, it's up here, like off okay. the puzzle. <laughs> and they were probably a little young for me to be doing this. They were like, um. <laughs> what? Whatever you say. <laughs> I was like, sometimes I shoot too high. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go high. I'm going to like talk you- high- a little above them. I went a little too high above them that time. <laughs> I find myself going down those like rabbit holes kind of all like the time. all is lost because you just kind of follow but it's it's not bad either to no. follow that lead so I think he'll remember that you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> because we went down that rabbit hole together Talking about that at dinner la- the Alaska. night, that night. <laughs> yeah well it's funny because my next question is like what vocabulary gaps do you see frequently and how do we fill those gaps and the reason I brought up the puzzle at least with kids with hearing loss a lot of times things like states unfamiliar places, unfamiliar names, anything that's not like in context of their daily life, mm-hmm. like gets missed yep. quickly. Do you have any other gaps that you tend to see? Receptive vocab. I mean, I think a lot of people think expressive vocab is like the biggest gap, but really studies have shown that receptive vocab is like they just aren't getting enough of those exposures to words to like truly get them to enter their lexicon. Interesting. Um, so, you know, sometimes I think we might focus too quickly on the expressive when like we might need to back up and do some receptive tasks um, using a lot of repetition. Like we said earlier, using the actual word in a syntactically correct sentence and Mm -hmm. not simplifying it um, or using like the broader term. And let's see, uh, I kind of talked about it earlier, but like the vocabulary depth, you know, making sure that they have all that semantic knowledge and the language flexibility to talk about words and their connections to each other and between those words. Yeah, Um, that reminds me, I have this like, game from you. It's like a compare and contrast game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like hexagons. And it's you have to like connect the the, the things by something they have in common or something that they don't have in common. I think, mm-hmm. I think I only play it with things they have in common. Yes. Yeah, um, me too. But I like to use that for vocabulary specifically because it forces us to talk about like things like like texture and like um, like function and category. Yes. And it's not just teapot. It's like appliance and metal and all of these other words that yes. like I just necessarily wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't think to target and I wouldn't necessarily think that they wouldn't know. But mm-hmm. we've all had that experience of working with a kid and all of a sudden they don't know a word like metal. And you're yeah. like, how do you not know this word? You're in like fourth grade. Yes. But they just missed it somehow. So I really liked that activity. Things that like that. It's not even like higher level vocabulary. It's just like random. Yes. Little pockets. Right. Yeah. All those attributes. I mean, we kind of 
forget about that when we think it's not just labels when we're talking about vocabulary. There's so much behind it. It is such a big part of language. Yeah. I feel like I I remember to do categorizing. Like I remember to talk about category names. Like I'm always making sure that not only do they know cow, pig, chicken, they also know animal. Yeah. Like those I remember about, but some Mm -hmm. of the more like, like attributes, like you were saying, like of things that are like a little higher, like, cause I guess yeah. when you get past preschool, you think that they're just going to pick up those words. Mm-hmm. Like we teach those things to preschoolers, right. like we teach soft and hard and big and small, but then it's like in your, when you're in fourth grade and they need to know things like, I don't know, appliances. I know yeah. that's a, not an yeah. <laughs> attribute, but you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Like it comes up. It's not like a, it's not going to be a vocabulary word in school. Yeah. They just assume you would have picked it up by now. Um, so I really like that anything like compare and contrast games, mm-hmm. like I mentioned that you have, or like things that bring up that attribute vocabulary. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you know you need to support vocabulary, but you're not sure how, I think that can mm-hmm. be a really good way to go for like that functional vocabulary. Yeah. And I think a lot of us go like, when we go categories, we go like one step up. And I think I've seen research on this too, like instead of a step down, like mm-hmm. the, what is it like? subordinate categories where it's like um like a couch is furniture but couches could be like a sectional a love seat like even more oh interesting yeah it's also an area that I think we don't even really think about a lot of times yeah Um, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have thought to go lower than couch but that's totally right that like sectional is like a very normal word for people to use and love seat all Mm -hmm. like super like relevant you know like yeah. if so, if someone in their family says go sit on the love seat and they're like what yeah or the sofa and we've all had yeah. a grandparent or something that calls it that. <laughs> that's really helpful to think about because I do think I, I will go up you're right but not down yeah in my thinking yes so do I so do I so you're not the only one <laughs> <laughs> so interesting okay so one of the things I hear from uh, like teachers and stuff is that like sometimes vocabulary intervention can be like kind of boring because <laughs> it's like a lot. Not that reading is boring, but right. if you're just reading like passages or you're doing yeah. like task cards, it, it can be a little boring. And yes. there's always the option of like doing a game and taking a turn and like. Yeah. But if we want to move beyond that and actually make the vocabulary intervention itself fun or interesting, do you have any like activities you really like or strategies for making it more fun? Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is the SLP in me, but I'm like all about the themes Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of just, you know, kind of pulling from thin air. Um, And the research does, does support that using themes can help provide like the semantic map, like, you know, all the connections between the words so that students aren't having to make like that, that leap on their own. There's kind yeah. of like that network there for them to kind of make sense of it all. Yeah. Um, I'm doing an episode on themes for like oh, because we, because when you have such a big age range, sometimes you can't, Yeah, like it's hard to do themes when only like three of your students are in preschool and like, yeah four in elementary school or you know it's all spread yeah. out like that I think it'll be out by the time this is out or like right around there oh, so cool awesome look for it or look for it soon <laughs> but um but yeah. I I agree that's a, like that's people are like why like it's just they people just do it because they think it's cute, it's cute. but like yeah. it's not just cute it's really like it I feel like it just helps me hit words I wouldn't have otherwise thought about because yes. like am I really gonna talk about like random insects on my own like no I'm gonna need the spring theme to bring that up for me you know right 
it kind of puts it all together. So it's nice I'm, to hear that's research supported because yes, that was just my gut instinct. <laughs> yep, you're right. And I, I just have wrote blog posts um, earlier this week about um, themes with older kids. I have a couple of them out like why why use themes with high schoolers and it's not what you think. You know, it's not like fire fire trucks. It's, <laughs> you know, finding the topics they're interested in or that are being used in their school or in their curriculum and really digging into some of those kinds of topics. I call them more like topics with older kids. I don't know, even though it's yeah. like a same concept themes. Are, are there any that come to mind that are particularly good? Um, video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of science topics like yeah. natural disasters or like um, astronomy. Like a lot of the kids, the older kids seem to be into those kinds of things food themes, of course, Um, just like geography, kind of like you're talking about travel and the way people live differently in different parts of the world. And being in teletherapy for so long, I I do a lot of like YouTube videos or live webcams. I love live webcams, like the national parks all have them. And my kids and I got really into watching like this one in Alaska this summer that was like bears, like fishing for salmon and this yeah. waterfall thing. It was so cool. So I, I feel like that. science is such an underrated theme. Oh, like, yeah. So many kids, old, older kids are so into like science topics. Yes. Yes. And it's like, and there's so much vocabulary. <laughs> like, I know. Almost too much. Too much. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's such a good tip. I'll have to remember that when I'm doing some stuff with the older kids that like, if yeah. you're going to introduce something, like science can definitely be the way to go. Because like I know, I know we have to support the curriculum vocabulary. Right. And like we do, we do. But like <laughs> sometimes you just want to shake it up a little bit, you yes. know, it's a little – I yep. always like to have a couple like standalone lessons like in my back pocket. Like, mm-hmm. and by in my back pocket, I mean like on my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like always there. Backpack. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, either like in like a Google Slides thing or like an interactive PDF thing. Yes. Just so that way, like when the day comes when I have nothing to support, which does happen now and then, like a yeah. weird day, and they just like yeah. they can't tell me anything they need, and I can just have like a standalone lesson that yeah. can cover vocabulary. Cause I feel like Every single child I work with yeah. is working on vocabulary in lose. some <laughs> capacity. Like even if they don't have an explicit vocabulary goal, like yes. I feel like almost all language and listening goals can be tied back to yeah. vocabulary. And some days they're just not into it. They don't want to talk about what they talked about in school. Like, you know, we all yeah. have those days. So it's not like you're doing any harm to talk about something totally random because, you know, it's going to come up in their in their day-to-day at some point. So yeah, I agree. And that's why I like like the digital resources because I don't have to I feel like I'm spoiling my themes episode but I was gonna I like I like I like digital stuff for themes because I I don't have to prep it like if I'm only going to use it with a handful of students because it's only appropriate for a handful of students then I'm not going to go crazy like velcroing stuff I'm just going to download it on my iPad and call it a day um a hundred percent. I kind of, I feel like we kind of answered this a little bit, but what are some of your go-to activities to work on vocabulary? Um, well, since I've been in teletherapy for like uh, almost a decade, it's like all digital at this point. Um, yeah. But boom cards, I love boom cards. So dynamic, so interactive, so much great feedback for kids. Um, Google Slides for older kids, which is you know, also got a lot of those same features as boom cards. Yeah. Um, I like Google Slides for itinerants for older kids specifically because a lot of the places I go because I don't work for the district, I don't have access to internet. Oh. Um, fun. I know. Yeah. But but <laughs> but almost all schools are one to one. So like the the oh, student nice. has uh 
computer. Yeah. So if I can either like share it with them ahead of time or make a folder where I drop stuff in for them, mm-hmm. usually I can get stuff that way. Um, and then they can open it on their computer. And then I do have like Google Slides yes. available. I just have to like think a little bit ahead about having it on their computer if I can't access my internet right. on the, um, the school Sometimes they Wi-Fi. let you on. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Like everyone changed it after COVID. Oh they gosh. were like, they let they let us on during the pandemic. They're like, okay, do whatever you want. And then when <laughs> everyone came back, they're like, just kidding, and they took it all down. No Wi-Fi for you. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like Google Slides for older kids is really helpful, and then interactive PDFs for younger kids on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Are like the two ways I get around yeah. that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because you don't need any internet after you downloaded that one. So right. that is awesome. I like a lot of like, uh, like with teletherapy, I do a lot of scavenger hunts, which sounds like, how do you do that? But like the kids will, I mostly saw kids in their homes. Well, they'll like go get stuff or I'll tell their parents ahead of time, like, Hey, we're going to be, uh, talking about fall stuff and they'll, you know, bring a leaf and we can get so much language out of a scavenger hunt. Like yeah. they love it. And I'll show what I have and they love to see that and compare and contrast them and tons of language. That's probably yeah. my favorite. I've done that too, like in person where we like go outside, like, Mm -hmm. and we just like find stuff or also sometimes we're in like random rooms. Like I don't always have like the same, to call it a therapy room is a stretch. I don't always have the same space (laughs) to do work. (laughs) It's oftentimes a closet, a large closet with a table in it. And I'm more than happy to do that. But sometimes I do just like use what's around me as like, like, do you see anything in here that reminds you of this? And then like, go that mm-hmm. way um because yep. you gotta take advantage of the things around you <laughs> <laughs> i haven't worked in a school setting that's not virtual so uh-huh. but i hear i hear all the horror stories of the closets the janitorial closets that slps are <laughs> yeah put in and okay, i put just- my foot down at working in the hallway i refuse yeah. to work Good in the hallway you. unless i have a table if they yeah. have a little table in a quiet hallway oh. yeah i will accept that because yeah. some speech yeah uh, rooms like they don't even have enough room for the speech therapist so they put a little table in the hallway and sometimes they let me borrow their little table <laughs> and that's oh like a great gosh. day for me I have a table <laughs> well, yeah but the hearing loss that's another layer of like just needing a conducive yeah. environment <laughs> yeah and I know this is not what the episode is about but I feel like a tip that's been super helpful for me for finding space is if you go to the office and ask like who's not in their room right now like who's on prep, who's at music, who is at a special, who's at Uh lunch, and then use their room. So you have to get permission from the office and the office will tell that teacher, hey, this person's using your room for 30 minutes. Yeah. And they might be sitting at their desk, which is like a little awkward, but I just kind of got past that because I was like, I need the space. Yeah. Um, Because there's really no extra space, but not everyone's in their room all of the time. Yes. So like that's kind of how I've gotten – that's been my most successful strategy is asking the office like who's not in their room and can I use a desk in their room? Mm -hmm. And most of the time they're happy that you're not bothering them for a separate room. So they're like, yeah, "Yeah, sure. sure." You can use (laughs) our our leftovers. Uh Yeah. That's kind of like what's worked. But sorry, not about vocabulary. but That's okay. okay. (laughs) It's all the struggle. It's real. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else about like vocabulary or any tips or anything that we haven't touched on today that you think would be helpful for people who are working on vocabulary goals with their kids? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, just keeping it fun, keeping it lots of different like learning modalities, 
So, of course, listening, incorporating sounds, audio recordings, coloring, movement, videos. I think that's kind of just like the the best place is a combination of all different modalities, which can be a little more work on the front end. But if you're doing a theme, you can usually stretch that across several grade levels um, with some tweaks here and there. So, yeah, I guess that's about about all I can think of. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. I feel like it's a lot to it's a, it's good to think about all the different ways that we can work with what we have and like connect it to other things and then make it all like gel together in a way that's like functional and helpful yes. for the, the students is really when it comes back to as long as it like connects to something else in some way. Yes. Then that's what makes it like stick in their brain, I think. Agree. You know? They have a place to put that little nuggets. <laughs> yeah, I feel on. like I, I always say it's like they got to put it in like a folder like yeah. in, their, in their brain. So like what what file cabinet is it going yeah. in? Like it has to, you can't just have a random full file folder right. lying around. <laughs> it's not going to, you're never going to be able to find it again. So yes. like if you're going to teach them about this random, if the ELA teacher gives you a list of words, like you got to connect those words to something because right. otherwise they're just floating around. Right. I got lots of papers in my environment that are floating around. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're not being found. So (laughs) I think I like that file folder analogy for making connections in kids' brains because I feel like it's like, oh yeah, okay. I see where you're, and then tell them where they're putting it so that they remember. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Multiple times making those connections. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Stacey, thank you so much for being here today. Could you tell everyone if they have any questions or anything where they can find you online? Sure. I have a website and a blog, and that is stacykraus.com. That's S-T-A-C-Y-C-R-O-U-S-E. I am on Instagram at stacykraus.slp, and then I have a TPT store. That's also my name, Stacy Kraus. <laughs> so, you know, real creative over here. Nice and easy for everybody. Yeah. I'll also link all of the stuff we talked about and all Stacey's links in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, you can. And that's it for the show today. Like I said, all the links and the transcript can be found below in the show notes or at listentotodpod.com. If you have any questions or have any of your own fun vocabulary ideas to share, feel free to post them in our TOD community Facebook group or DM me on Instagram at listeningfun. Have a fantastic day and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.